Welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante along with Dustin Hawkinsmith. Dusty, another week. Did you survive the heat wave this weekend? I usually survive it by just looking out my window at it, but today I went out and did things like uh, like I'm not a ginger, you know what I mean? So I'm I'm limping along as we as we sit here now, but I'm I'm feeling okay. We survived. That's a little risky for you out in the sunshine. Uh, please tell me you didn't do it without a shirt on. Oh no, but I, that would just be cruel to the to the neighbor. So I I usually don't do that. <laughs> Fair enough, Dusty. All right, let's get going with the show. Let's start with the Penn State news. And most of that news revolves around Sean Clifford, our latest union man here, right? Not not according to him and not according to the uh, to Dan Murphy from ESPN. This is not unionization. This is just I don't know. I don't know where you d- draw the distinction between the two, but it's looking out for the collective interests of college football players. Um, and I, I guess there's a difference there. I'm not an expert in this territory, but they they do seem to make it clear. Sean Clifford does that. They're not battling um, the other side. I think it's just trying to get a seat at the table, as they say. So he's just organizing the players so that they could collectively negotiate in their best interest. Yeah, you're right. That's that's not union. Um, and it doesn't sound anything like it either. It's, it is an entry point to, to unionization. You know, we saw this, I think it was last in 2015. The college football world was not ready for it then when Northwestern players tried to do it. And you saw some movement in that direction. I think the college football world is more ready for it today, much more ready for it today than it was back then. Um, for now, it just seems like they're just he, he's just trying to represent interests of, of uh, current and former players. And it's hard to see this not going in a direction where, you know, College football players, their their interests are not represented in an actually formed union. Exactly. And ironically, Dusty, where I think a few years ago when Northwestern was going through this, it was a case of a lot of people looked at that and said, this is just plain wrong. They're supposed to be student athletes. But as you said, it's a little different today. Ironically, with the NIL and the transfer portal and everything else, I've got to think that the powers of the, that be are kind of saying to themselves, gee, I w- wish we would have just collectively bargained an agreement five or six years ago instead of dealing with what we're dealing with now. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think that's the thing. The NCAA didn't get anywhere close to being proactive on this thing, and now they're reacting to everything. You know, the, the toothpaste is out of the tube now, and they're trying their, their best to get it back in there with some rules and some structure, and it would have been a lot easier if these guys wouldn't have fought this movement of player rights as hard as they did for as long as they did. So now they're in this this awkward position where they could have been proactive and they weren't, and so now they're just trying to right some wrongs after the fact, which is not what anybody ever wants. So, 
Yeah, I think they I think they wish they would have just um, worked with these guys in the past. But I, I think in 2015, they weren't really thinking that that player rights were going to become such a big thing so quickly. So now you have players who are free to have agents for marketing. They're free to make money on the open market. Uh, they're they're feeling more empowered because they can transfer at will. I know we'll I think we'll touch on that a little bit more later. But you know the the player rights have never been uh, more so than they are now. And so yeah, I mean the next step as players are feeling empowered to grab a little bit more and more and more is 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 this is to try to work together and try to represent the players who are part of this and i'm not sure what exactly the steps are to be you know a union versus a collective agent whatever they're calling themselves now but it's hard to imagine this not going down that path it's and i'm just uh, curious is it true i heard a rumor that one of the demands Sean Clifford's uh presenting is he wants to change the eligibility rules that they have 10 years of eligibility to play. Yeah. So he, right now, if that comes into play, he's a red shirt, red shirt, red shirt, red shirt, red shirt, freshman right now. And, uh, he'll, he'll be free to keep playing. I, I'm, I'm, I, I think in his ninth year as Penn state starter, that's when the breakthrough happens, Jim. <laughs> that's when he'll become the next Joe Burrow. Uh, you you alluded to it, Dusty. Uh, the talk is of changing a bit of the transfer portal rules. We un- we know that it had previously changed. It became a free for all with no time limit on it, but that the players would get one free transfer. And now the talk is about allowing free transfers multiple times, and. I guess they're saying it's balanced by there will be only a couple times per year uh, windows where they will allow to um, be allowed to transfer. I'm I'm stunned that anyone in authority would even suggest, gee, let's give them more freedom with the transfer portal by having more than one free transfer. I don't know what to make of, of that part of it. You know, like I think... I think if a kid transfers once and uh, is unhappy at the next location, they're probably going to transfer anyway and swallow the one-year penalty. You know, I think you have some serial transferers in in college sports, and I think they're they're just steering into this. Um, you know, I think go- gone are the days, the good old days of being patient and waiting it out and waiting your turn and and all that. Um, I think this is just embracing that. And and I think the, the two proposals that are in play send kind of conflicting messages, right? I mean, one, I think the structure of having two defined windows is good for everybody involved, their sanity. You know, I think... Um, it's going to be tricky. Like if, if the first window, which is supposed to be 45 days, if they agree upon this is right after the college football playoff uh, pairings are announced, you're still going to deal with coaching changes and stuff like that as, as a result of it. You know, like I, I think that that time period at the end of the season, 
it's not really going to minimize all the chaos that we've started to see coaches leaving in the middle of the night, like that kind of thing. But um, May 1st through the 15th is, is supposed to be the second window. It's good in theory to have these defined times where, where guys can move. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm all for player rights and, and uh, getting an opportunity to find the right place. But I, I felt like the the happy medium was the one-time transfer rule. If you don't get it right the second time, I think it's fair to expect that you have to pay a penalty to get to, to try it again. I agree. That's why I was so surprised to see that potentially happening. Again, like you, I liked having the window so there's not this free-for-all. You know when this is going to happen at least. And perhaps it needs another adjustment to the... Uh, signing day maybe they need to push that back to February where it originally was so you get the transfers out of the way then you have you know commitment day but this total freedom multiple transfers not sure I like it there was one suggestion I don't know if you saw this and it's not in our notes but I believe it was last week Mike Leach talked about um actually rewarding players for sticking around. If you talk about uh, the NCAA or the schools actually paying the players, he was going to tie that payment to them staying at one school and graduating. So there's $150,000 out there for you if you stay at the school you started with and you graduate, which, which I think is, is a nice you know, carrot out there for the players. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a creative idea, and um, I'm I'm all for listening to Mike Leach. I don't think the powers that be in college football are all for listening to Mike Leach's ideas, um, but I'm I'm usually fascinated by them. Um, I, I I just feel like you just have to keep in mind that players aren't robots, and it, it, you kind of put them in a cruel position if they're unhappy, if it's affecting their mental health, if they're you know, if their friends, if, if they don't have any friendships on the team, whatever, whatever number of reasons you could have for a transfer beyond just, I want to play more, or I think I should be a starter. I think there are other reasons to transfer and you put a player in kind of a cruel position to try to collect that amount of money or try to pursue happiness, you know? And I, I think it's creative. And I think, I think the idea of incentivizing staying, I, I'd be willing to listen to that, but Maybe it's a sliding scale. Maybe you get like, you know, $37,500 for every year that you stay or something. I, I don't know. That's ba- a bad idea too. But um, but yeah, I, I, just, I just don't think that that's something that will actually happen. But I'm all for opening the conversation of how do you incentivize an impatient player to stay? Exactly. And I think it's creative. I think it's a nice path to follow, to look at and pursue and see if there's a way to do it. Maybe you hit it with the, maybe there's even a sliding scale. You make a smaller amount finishing your first year and each advancing year you you make more. Uh, One other news note from this week I wanted to hit you with. um, This talk about Governor Newsom out in California with UCLA trying to keep them from joining the Big Ten. Your quick thoughts on that. Has it ever worked out that fighting a, a school that wants to leave the conference? It's not like UCLA is relocating to Topeka, Kansas or something. Like, they're still a state school. I, I, I get that you're trying to protect the best interest of all the schools in the state, but 
has it ever worked out that some entity or another fights a, a, a team that's leaving and it actually and actually forces them to stay? I'm asking the question. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think so. I think there's been some of these where, well, you know, uh, if you take Texas, you got to take Texas A&M or vice versa, that kind of thing. I don't think it's worked. What I found intriguing about it, Dustin, was this statement. They're looking out for the best interests of the uh, students, the the people who are involved in this. Well, the problem is UCLA, especially because of COVID over the last couple of years, their athletic department's about $100 million in debt. Going to the Big Ten is a financial lifeline, which means they won't have to cut other sports. And if they, they're not allowed to move and they end up cutting other sports, what do you think is going to be the reaction? Yeah, there would be an adverse reaction to that. Maryland was in a similar position, obviously not as extreme with the distance, but that's numero uno is, is balancing your budget. And looking out for the state of California is not a priority here. Exactly. All right, Dustin, that's it for quarter number one. And news and notes, quarter number two, we're going to get down back to our countdown of our top 40. Stick around for that. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, Local information from Penn State's hometown website, statecollege.com. Trust statecollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. What defines the special spirit of Penn State? Why Penn State by author Greg Woodman looks to Happy Valley in the 1980s for answers. Featuring rare photos, original essays, and exclusive interviews with Coach Paterno, this beautiful 256-page full-color hardback edition explores the why behind We Are. It's chicken soup for the Nittany Lions' soul and makes the perfect gift for any Penn Stater in your life, including you. Order today at whypennstate.com. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news, 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. We are Tech Results, located right here in State College. Whether it's workstation, server and network installation, problem solving and maintenance, security assessments, or general evaluations, we are your complete IT partner. Learn more at techresults.com. That's T-E-K results.com. Or call us at 814-206-0000. It's quarter number two on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number two. I'm Jim Galante along with Dustin Hawkinsmith. And Dustin, we finally get back to our top 40 
40 most important players going into the Penn State 2022 season. And I say it every time we do this, really interesting. We're going to start with the most important of positions. At number 20, you have place kicker Jake Pinniger. Or you have place kicker Sanders Sahaytak. But you have a kicker. I mean, I, I think this is not the Penn State team that can afford to leave points on the board whenever they whenever they should get points. And I'm not talking about booming 55 yarders. I don't think that's the expectation of, of the kicking position this year. We'll see. But I, I, I really think just having a kicker who converts on the kicks that he should make is an important piece of the puzzle here. Like, I, I don't think this is the offense that's going to score a billion points. I don't think this is the, the, the same defense as last year. So I think the margin for error in the special teams then, the third phase that we often forget about, is reduced because you need you need to be effective there. And, you know, the unfortunate thing with having Jordan Stout do everything for you is now you need to replace everything from, from last year to this year. And, you know, at the kicking spot, at least you have somebody who has some experience uh, in Jake Pinnaker. I also, and this is why I'm not quite ready to say Jake Pinnaker is your guy. Sanders Hayduck looked like he had a leg at the blue-white game. You know, and, and, and I think he, he probably shouldn't be ruled out of this competition yet. Um, I don't know whether maybe you'll get into a short guy, long guy thing with him and, and Jake Pinnaker or what, but I think this will be a fun competition to follow. And you just hope that Jake Pinnaker can win this job outright and, and make the most of the time that he's got left. He, he had the, the role taken away from him last year. Get him back in there and, and, and find um, the best version of, of himself. And I'm not quite ready to say, oh, yeah, I hope he wins the job. You know, I want the best guy to, to get the job. And you're right, Sahedak in the blue-white game certainly looked like he had the strength of leg. He looked very confident doing it. And I know it was a spring game, but still a lot of pressure. Those guys are pl- battling for a position. And he handled that really, really well. And two last points on it, Dustin. You talk about the importance. When these guys make a mistake, you lost three points. There's no, well, we'll get them on third down since we threw an incompletion on second. No. You either make it or you don't. It's three points or it's not. So it's definitive. It costs you points when you make a mistake. And the second part to this is with Jordan Stout, it's also what he did on kickoffs. It was really nice to just know the ball's going into the end zone and that's it. The less intrigue as you can get on on kickoffs, the better. And, you know, it's going to be interesting going back to a place where touchbacks aren't automatic. You know, like if you were a Penn State fan watching from home, you could, you could maybe not get back from the fridge in time and still feel like you knew what you were missing, which was a a Jordan-style touchback. Now you're going to have to stick around. You know, there's going to be a chance you just don't you just don't want to risk it with with the guy in the open field. You know, you don't want to risk it with the kick returner. Get take it out of his hands completely. So I don't know. I mean, that that position might come down to somebody that's not Jake Pinnaker or Sanders Ahadak. Um, we'll see. We'll see about that. But again, I mean, all these different phases need uh, a, a new leg attached to them, and I think. 
a reasonable scenario here, which could be called a best case, is that you know Penn State gets really good production from let's say 45 yards and in. And then I'm just not sure beyond that. I'm also not sure, you know, Sanders Hayek really untested, you know, and you don't know how a guy's going to respond under pressure. But I'm not sure if I love the way that Jake Pinnaker kicked under pressure too. You know, you you saw him, you know, at least a few years ago uh, when just kicking it unreasonably low and right it right into the line of scrimmage. You know, I, I, I think I want to see a, an improved version of him and maybe sitting on the sidelines and watching somebody else do all the kicking last year will will spark something new in him. But what, what would you rather have, somebody who, who has been relatively unsuccessful under pressure or somebody who's untested un, under pressure? I don't want to dismiss Pinnegar because wasn't it Robbie Gold who at one time we questioned him? And he ended up coming back and finishing up his career really well. So it's not like these guys can't figure it out as they go. And that may be the case with Jake Pinnegar. But I'm not going to be afraid to move on from him. I'm not going to treat it like a lot of the other positions seem to be treated, which is, well, we're going to go with the upperclassmen. We're going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm not, I'm not giving Pinnegar the benefit of the doubt. To me, it's it's an open competition, and the best performer is the guy who's going to get the job, and I wouldn't be afraid of it being the freshman. I, I, I just wouldn't be, Dusty. So, you know, that that's, uh, that's my take on it. And I would say this. The presence of Jordan Stout, and this is nobody's fault, I don't think, but the presence of Jordan Stout, I think, wasn't, good for Jake Pinnegar's development because if you're splitting responsibility as he did for a couple years and then last year he didn't he didn't do any of the kicking if you're splitting responsibility I, I think you f- you feel like the leash is there you feel like you're a mistake away from from going from 50 50 to 40 60 in, the, in that kicking um, situation so I, th- I think if you're going to commit to one guy or the other, but especially if you're going to commit to Jake Pinnegar at the outset, make sure that he feels like he's not looking over his shoulder the entire time. Because I, you know, I think that's, that's self-manufactured pressure on a kid like him that he probably doesn't need. If you're going to say you're our guy, then let him kick it out. Let him kick through some struggles if that if that's what it comes down to. Make that commitment or don't. If you're going to go back and forth, if you're going to waffle, if you're going to have a a 50 yards and in versus 50 yards and out situation, you're not going to see the best of Jake Pinnegar. I, I I just I just don't think that's going to be the case. So, is he your guy or is he not? Don't make him halfway your guy. I kind of look at it from the other side, Dusty. If he's accurate from 45 in but doesn't have the leg for beyond 45. I'm okay with that. And if it's a question of pressure, well, guess what? That comes with that role as a kicker. And you know what? When there's 10 seconds left in the game and your team is down two points and they put you out there to make the kick, no one's going to coddle him. So he's got to be prepared to handle the pressure, Dusty. That's my take on it. Let's move on. Fair enough. Let's get. I didn't realize we could go that long on the kicker, but we can. Uh, Let's move on to number 19 on your list. A true freshman denied Dennis Sutton the defensive end. Dusty, I guess you're saying he's going to play a role. I, I don't really see a scenario where he doesn't and Penn State's best pass rush is presented. 
You know, you look at the, there are a number of question marks on this defensive end depth chart. I think everybody's a question mark. And I can go down through e- each and every one of them. You know, Adisa Isaac, no guarantee to come back the same player, no guarantee to be 100%. Where's his confidence at? Where's his mindset at when he's, is he, has, is he able to put that injury out of his head? Um, is, is he going to fulfill all that promise? Nick Tarburton, I just don't know how much more ceiling is left for him. Maybe there is some. And I, I, I think definitely on the pass rushing side of things, it's just not his forte. And he can make big contributions as, as, as a run stopper and somebody who's just a smart, tough, gritty player who gives 110%. That's him. I just don't know if he's ever going to be your seven to eight sack kind of guy. Um, Chop Robinson coming in from, from Maryland. He's got multiple transitions to make from obviously from Maryland to Penn State, from that defense to this defense, from a hybrid linebacker slash defensive end to just a pure defensive end. You know, I think the, the list goes on and on. You know, Smith Vilbert, we saw some pretty good things for him in, in the Outback Bowl. Is, is he ready for prime time? Is, so everybody is a question mark. And it doesn't mean that, you know, all those questions will go unanswered. It just means that there's a lot of opening for a guy like Denai Dennis Sutton, who is very, very physically talented, but also I think ready for this from a, from a mental standpoint and from a physical standpoint, he is ready to play in the big 10 as ready, you know, at that position as any freshman at Penn state I've, I've seen, you know, I, th- I think he's, he's twitchy. He's, he's uh, a five-star talent, but he also goes about his business in a very blue-collar fashion. I mean, the, the recipe is here for him to make a pretty big impact in year one, and I expect him to do that. And the other part to that, Dusty, is we're not talking about just two positions, you know, the two defensive ends. They rotate them. This is about having at least a two deep. Yes, you mentioned like maybe three, maybe four names. Is each one of those four players the question going to be answered in the affirmative and that's doubtful so almost by default he will get an opportunity you add that opportunity to the talent he has I can't see him not being a factor yeah and I I feel the, the same way and it's like once they get in pads and they're out there for training camp he is gonna really make an impression on the coaching staff. He's just one of those freshmen who you just you can feel it that the, the buzz around his name is gonna be palpable this summer. Now, obviously, you would love for this kid to have arrived in January and not in the spring, but I'm not sure that really makes a difference with him. Um, I think I've compared him to Yitor Gross Matos in terms of his polish and stuff like that. Right, right out of the bat, he he was a guy who arrived late. And he played in year one. And I think Dennis Sutton is more physically talented as a high sc- coming out of high school than, than Gross Matos was. And I think that's going to mean something. You know, at the end of the day, like uh, I, I, you saw him in the, in the All-America Bowl winning matchups one-on-one with strength, speed, inside, outside, spin moves. Like he had all this technique. But even, what it comes down to, I think, is uh, – you know, physically, can you make the grade? And I think his get off and his strength and his quickness, it's all really, really impressive. The best version of Penn State's pass rush includes Deny Dennis Sutton at least being in that rotation. I don't expect him to be a starter, probably at any 
point as a true freshman, but I expect him to play enough and play often enough to burn that red shirt and make that not even a question. He's going to have enough talent to make a difference, and I think the only variable to this is how good will the other guys be that are going to maybe get the first chance as the upperclassmen. And I'm not sure there are the couple guys there who are going to be the definitive number ones that you don't even question it. So I I think we're going to see a lot of Dennis Sutton. That is it for quarter number two, Dusty. Quarter number three, we continue the countdown. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, statecollege.com. Trust statecollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. In his book, Why Penn State, author Greg Woodman takes readers on a trip back in time to Happy Valley in the 1980s, a unique era of gridiron success and rapid expansion that gave our university its modern identity. Whether you're traveling down memory lane or discovering old states past for the first time, this compilation of rare photos, original essays, and exclusive interviews helps you explore the why behind We Are. Start your journey today. Order online at whypennstate.com. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. We are Tech Results. Located right here in State College, we specialize in providing assistance with many third-party software suites. Our clients include doctor's offices, lawyers, construction companies, and even hairdressers. We provide help with their industry-specific software. Learn more at techresults.com. That's T-E-K results.com. Or give us a call at 814-206-0000. Let's get back to the action on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It's quarter number three. I'm Jim Galanti, along with Dustin Hawkinsmith. We are going through our top 40 countdown. We are down to numbers 18 and 17. In uh, quarter number two, we did rankings 20 and 19, including the place kicker position. We took Jake Pinniger and or Sander Sahedak for the first half of the segment. So, Dusty, now that we moved on to another segment, you want to talk about the punter? I think every special teams position we got we got to do it. Do it now. That's it. we did, we did eight sizzling minutes on Jake Pinniger. I th- I just think we owe it to people to do another eight. Let's actually move on and no, it's not a punter at number eighteen. Little more exciting. We got wide receiver Kendra Lambert Smith. 
probably number three in the rotation behind Parker Washington and Mitchell Tinsley, but still an important part of this wide receiver rotation. Yeah, and and I think when you're looking at the wide receiver position at large, as a whole. I think you really like what Parker Washington and Mitchell Tinsley bring to the table. Uh, I think that'll be one of the better one-two punches in, in the Big Ten. But I think what can really help separate this group and make the Penn State offense much harder to defend is three experienced guys who are comfortable in their roles. And Keandre Lambert-Smith... You know, maybe he does or doesn't want to ascend and become Penn State's number one. Maybe he's got that in him. Maybe he doesn't. We ha- we don't know that yet. But one thing is for sure, I mean, this is a kid who has played the number three role, did it at a much higher level last year than he did the year before. The Penn State coaching staff committed to him in 2020, and I took that as a sign that they really see potential in him to let him grow through those inevitable freshman mistakes. So last year you saw a better version. I would expect an even even better version this year. Somebody who, um, you, you know, but between the three tight ends and these three wide receivers, and if the run game can can become a threat, you know, it's going to create a lot of problems trying to defend the entire field for opposing defenses. And I think having a legit number three can take that that one two punch of Parker Washington and Mitchell Tinsley and just make it all the better. You know, you're not going to be able to to overload anybody because if you do, I mean, Keandre Lambert-Smith on a number three corner or a slot corner, whoever is covering him, is probably a mismatch in Penn State's favor. And you make a great point about the advancement he made from his freshman season to his sophomore. So why wouldn't we think that that trajectory will continue, that this next year he will continue that improvement and that still would be part of it? And if you're Mike Yursich, he's you know known for wanting to spread out the defense, use the entire field, spread it out horizontally and vertically. And if you have three wide receivers of this caliber, yes, Lambert Smith could be a very important part of that, right? And I think, uh, to your point, you've seen him at times uh, make plays after the catch just kind of beat beat one guy and he's streaking through the secondary. And you've also seen him get over the top and make make plays in the deep part of the field. And I think that versatility and and how he can function in the offense is really important Um, because he can punish you big time if if you don't cover him or if you have a a mix-up in in communication in the secondary. He's somebody who can really punish you. And, you know, you look at him, he's a really wiry kid. You know, he's like 6 foot, 180. 85 pounds or something like that. He's not going to be the big physical force um, after the catch, but he's got a little bit of wiggle to him. He, he seems to be hard to pin down, so he, he's good in that respect. And then I think he's got adequate speed to, to be able to beat you deep too. He's kind of everything you want in a number three. And then if, if you look at the scenario where, let's say, one of those top two guys gets hurt, I don't know that I'd be uncomfortable with Keanu Lambert-Smith now suddenly being the number two wide receiver. And it's it maybe it's something, a role that he can really thrive in because he's shown, I think, that he can handle uh, the, the number three job. If he gets forced into a bigger role, I don't think that's the worst thing. I feel like he can rise to that challenge. I do too, Dusty. And the other part of this whole equation, the offseason was upon us and we started to talk about where they needed help, say, from the transfer portal. 
and we saw a new offensive lineman, a new defensive end coming in. I didn't think of wide receiver necessarily as a position of necessity. However, when you get a guy the quality of Mitchell Tinsley coming in, all of a sudden this Keandre Lambert-Smith, who I pictured being a number two, and he's actually going to probably be the number three, I'm saying I've got a pretty good number three at this point now and may be able to exploit some things against the defense because I'm it's now the third best coverage guy who has to cover Lambert Smith. Yeah, and I think if you can go from having a good number two in Keandre Lambert Smith to a great number three, that is um that you know, the value of Mitchell Tinsley in that scenario just shows. And I I do feel like as much as you maybe say I, I don't need we don't need a number one or number two uh, because you have Keandre Lambert Smith now um, you know I, I think if you're having let's say Caden Saunders and Malik Megan some of those other guys vie for the number three job you're gonna have somebody who might be out of their element a little bit there I think getting a little bit more stability in that top trio was a big deal and now you have you know, kind of a luxury with, with those other guys that you're going to be able to kind of slot them in periodically where this it, bringing in Mitchell Tinsley brought order and it brought mismatch capability to that number three job. Not many teams, I think, in, in the Big Ten can really say our number three can, can beat you in, in multiple ways and has shown that he can do it. Okay, let's move to number 17 where you have linebacker Kobe King And I want to point out here, Dusty, you don't have linebacker Kobe King slash linebacker Tyler Elston. And I think that's the, I think that shows in what my expectation is. I, I had that slash at the place kicker position in quarter number two, Jake Pinnegar, because I you know I, I got a little bit of promise from Sanders Hadak in the blue white game. So now Kobe King, I feel like that's gonna be his job. Um, you know when, when he arrived last January, the coaching staff was really, really clear that this is a mature guy for his age. And he's gonna have to be. But I, I felt like that was saying now that you're in a competition with a guy who's a year older than you and Tyler Elsden, um, that that makes that one additional year of experience not that big a deal. Um, Kobe King seems to be a leader. He seems to be a really smart linebacker. He seems to understand the game at a really high level for a redshirt freshman. I think this is his job to lose. And I think it's one that, you know, one of the more intriguing position battles, but I, I definitely expect King to win that job and for, for Elsden to be more of a reserve guy in that, in that linebacker rotation. I get that sense also. And in your notes, you talk about the fact that he's filling big shoes. I, I think Ellis Brooks got lost in that defense, not on the field playing, but when we recognize the best players on that team, you know, we talk about Arnold Bikiti and Jahan Dotson and Joey Porter's physical skills. And we talk about the other guys, and we often forget about Ellis Brooks, the veteran who was in the middle. And there were some games where he really stepped up, made a lot of plays, uh, Dusty. So that is a big position to fill. Uh, for a pretty inexperienced guy. And and I do feel like Kobe King is the type of redshirt freshman that you should be willing to take some lumps, some growing pains for him to fulfill what you expect of him. And I think you're going to see, I mean, 
as fans, you don't typically appreciate the leadership and communication of that middle linebacker as much as as much as you should. Uh, Ellis Brooks was was a great player. He was dynamic. You know, I think he showed the ability to make all the different types of plays behind the line of scrimmage, rush the passer, drop into coverage every so often, physical in the run game. You know, he was capable of making a lot of plays. So I don't expect Kobe King to be quite that. But I also agree with you that Ellis Brooks was very underappreciated. Even t- take out the leadership and communication piece of it. His actual play on the field, it's easy to get enamored with Brandon Smith because he looks the part. Easy to be enamored with Curtis Jacobs because he has a really, really good chance of being a star uh, this year. And, and he showed that last year. Ellis Brooks was was steady and stable, but dynamic when you needed him to be. So those are big shoes to fill. And I also think that not only that, but this linebacker rotation needs stability um, as much as they can. You know, that, that somebody who can walk that line between being a, a stable guy uh, who makes the routine play and can also go above and beyond sometimes. Because I, I have all kinds of questions about the depth there. You hit a very good point on the depth. As I've always pointed out from last year's team, you have two out of three starters and then the guy who was playing defensive end, Jesse Lakeda, would come back and play linebacker as your fourth guy. And do I have to point out again that now we're talking about our third starting linebackers going down the hallway from the safety room to join the linebacker room. So it's not like, well, we've got two. And Curtis Jacobs, the one returning guy, is switching sides. He's playing the other linebacker position. You don't have stability at the top, and you don't have depth. It's so important for those guys who are going to be that first rotation, which I am with you, I believe it will be Kobe King, to create the stability. The nice thing, though, about him being that redshirt freshman, he could be that guy there for two or three more years. Yeah, and, and I think because of the nature of the, of the job, uh, Tyler Elson can also play a, a pretty valuable role. It's not it's not all or nothing. Um, and I think the last thing I'll say about, you know, trying to read the tea leaves about who you think has a better chance to start. Don't you think that if Tyler Elston really, really had made a statement to the coaching staff that they wouldn't have made Jesse Lucchetta their their de facto backup middle linebacker and, and let him focus on on what he was doing so well. I feel like we would have saw more we would have seen more of Tyler Elsden last year if they held him in the same regard as they do Kobe King. That's an excellent point, which I hadn't thought of that yes, I do think that is the case, Dusty. And I also think and I don't Tyler Elsden didn't play in the blue white game. You're competing for a position, and I'm sure he was at least a little banged up, but you know what? If you're fighting for a position and you're a little banged up, you find a way to get onto the field. And again, I have no idea what the issue was, but it didn't help him whether it was he was hurt um, and, you know, no way he could play. That still doesn't help him to, to get on the field. All right, that's it, Dustin, for quarter number three. Stick around. Quarter number four, we're bringing back the coach, Nick Caduti, and we're going to do some uh, studying a game film. You don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. 
Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, statecollege.com. Trust statecollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. What defines the special spirit of Penn State? Why Penn State by author Greg Woodman looks to Happy Valley in the 1980s for answers. Featuring rare photos, original essays, and exclusive interviews with Coach Paterno, this beautiful 256-page full-color hardback edition explores the why behind We Are. It's chicken soup for the Nittany Lions' soul and makes the perfect gift for any Penn Stater in your life, including you. Order today at whypennstate.com. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. We are Tech Results, located right here in State College. Whether it's workstation, server and network installation, problem solving and maintenance, security assessments, or general evaluations, we are your complete IT partner. Learn more at techresults.com. That's T-E-K results.com. Or call us at 814-206-0000. We head to the home stretch in quarter number four on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It's quarter number four of our show, and we welcome back to the show our favorite coach, Nick Caduti. How you doing, coach? Doing good, Jim, man. Glad to be back. Glad football season's back. It it is. It's on its way. Uh, The Big Ten Media Day is this week, so things are moving. Now, just a reminder to our listeners, uh, Coach is the one who does those great videos for For the Bloggy. So if you go to their YouTube channel, that's For the Bloggy, you'll get to see the video we're going to talk about today and all the other videos that coach did and they're they're fantastic if you really want to learn what's going on on the football field i highly recommend it now coach in your most recent video you took a look at sean clifford's handling of the rpo system implemented by new offensive coordinator last year mike yursich and you highlighted some of the mistakes that he's made in in making his reads I suspect most of our listeners understand and know that the RPO means it's a run-pass option play. But just to start out, could you explain what is the quarterback looking for when he determines whether this play is going to be a run or a pass? You know, for different different coaches have different philosophies. So I highlighted in the video, you can see where he is usually reading an apex defender, basically meaning he's reading the guy between the receiver and the tackle. Okay, Um, and his objective is basically that's the extra player. So when you run an RPO, the objective is I'm going to try to take the player that you have that is basically what we call two way. He's a run fitter and a pass defender at the same time. 
And so what you're going to do is you're going to put that kid in conflict. So a lot of people call them the conflict player. So, for example, a couple of them you saw were, um, you know, where basically he was just trying to drop the ball off really quick into the flat. Um, you know, I think one of the first ones was the H-back comes across the formation after he runs inside zone to the left. And the fullback comes across formation and he's out in the flat. Well, the read was very simple. The read was the outside linebacker who ended up coming off blitzing the edge. Um, and it was a pretty easy read. A lot of high school kids make that read. So it's kind of shocking that Clifford uh, didn't make that read very well. Um, and all he would do is if that kid sells himself to the run, then I just pull the ball and I throw the a tagged route, whatever that route concept might be, a flat, a slant, uh, an out, a hitch, whatever it is. Um, and so that's really, you have to understand that there's so many different variations, you know, but Yurcic likes to live on the second level RPO. He likes to live in the linebacker world. So he'll try to read linebackers to make them wrong is what he's trying to do. And you illustrate very well in the video, there is that one player and the plays that you showed, it did seem very obvious. It even seemed like Sean Clifford was looking that direction. He was looking at that defender and it does look like a very easy, obvious read. And in the first couple ones, it was, as you mentioned, one was the H-back in motion. Another one was the wide receiver in motion. And they were the open receiver in the flat. So did you get the sense that that's the type of play that Sean Clifford had the most difficulty with because you showed some other plays where he ran it very well, but it was a much different uh, area where the receiver was open. You know, it looks like, and you know, it's always easy to say, and I'm guilty as anybody else, especially coaching, that it's easy for a quarterback to read that concept, right? You can see it from the skybox. How could you not make that read? But you know, when you're trying to you're trying to catch a snap, hand the ball off, read a guy on the outside, and it's hard. You know, it takes practice. You know, it's no different than what you used to see back in the day when you'd watch Nebraska run split back veer, right? They're reading the DN, they're outside linebacker. It's the same thing. RPOs are the same thing. It's split back veer. It's triple option. The only difference is instead of pitching, you're throwing. And, you know, I think that, you know, I think that unless you practice it, unless you live in that realm, in that world, and it's, it's like who you are, I think it's a struggle. Um, I know that in my level, um, a lot of teams try to do it, but if you don't practice every day and that's like your thing, you know, they struggle with it. And you could tell he really struggled with some of the stuff they did, um, mainly because probably, you know, he didn't get enough reps at it. And, and you know, the stuff that he did do well, the slant flats, um, it's because it's a different type of RPO. It's, it's just him pulling the ball and letting it rip behind an outside linebacker's ear because he's having a guy pull uh, with the flat. And so I think that he's a little successful at that because truly I think it's because he can just sit in the pocket and that's what Clifford really wants to do. Well, the examples you gave where he, he seemed to struggle was often it was the player on um, in motion who was just out in the flat and unattended no nobody was around him you also showed another one where it was a, a a wide receiver screen or a pop screen whatever you want to call it where his difficulty was it seemed to be he read it correctly he pulled it out from the running back but it was his hesitation in getting the ball out to the receiver so it's not just about making the right read it's about the timing for it also, being quick with your decision, correct? 
Yeah, it's, you know, it's one of those things you have to live with the choice that you make, you know, and, you know, there's one really specific one where he had a trips to the trips to the field, like a bunch set. And he, he pulled the balls pre-snap. He knew he was going to throw the ball because he had numbers. And he pulls it, and then he sees a corner drive down or a safety drive down and kind of just give, just really just make the block or push get pushed back a little bit. And he second-guesses himself, and he pump fakes it. Next thing you know, he's like, oh, no, what do I do? He starts running around, and he just throws it to the kid anyways. Because, honestly, if he would have just pulled that ball and let it rip, he, he would have had a big play. You know, and it goes back to that comfort level. You know, are you comfortable seeing all those things that you see? Are you comfortable seeing all the way the defenses handle RPOs? You know, and that just comes in time. You know, it's a time thing. And, you know, the way the RPO concepts and the game has changed that defenses have evolved with it. And defenses have learned how to roll to things. They've learned how to, you know, push into the flats. They've learned how to run trap coverages to stop those RPOs. And so, you know, as a coaching staff, I think Yurisich is probably going to sit down and, and think, okay, I saw some things that maybe he wasn't ready for, um, that Clifford wasn't ready for to see on the field that, you know, maybe I can make some changes to, you know, counteract what the defense is doing. It's a game of chess, you know, and I think that, uh, I think that, you know, five years ago, I think those, all those plays would have been extremely successful, uh, even though they probably still could have been, um, but they caused a more or less a commotion in the head of the Cl- of Clifford, which, you know, made him guess and second guess himself. And, and, you know, I think that's the difference. Truly, I think that's the difference, you know, and, and your was very, very adamant that, you know, he feels that Clifford's going to be a lot better on the RPOs this year. And I think that a lot of that has to do with the fact that they're probably coming up with some different answers and they're practicing and putting him in scenarios that he might truly see in a game, you know, and so, you know, the old saying is make practice harder than the game. And so I think that's probably what they're going to end up doing. Well, in that specific play you were talking about, it was against Ohio State. And as you know, there's so many great athletes on that team. If you've got an opening, you better hit it right away because it's not going to stay open for long because those defenders are going to be so quick to the ball. Now, you mentioned about Mike Yursage saying there was improvement from Sean Clifford. And is that just the, uh, the most important thing is just reps? which obviously he's getting more of them and he's with that same offensive coordinator second time. Or are there other little secrets that could help him in his decision-making process that the coach could look to do? I think there's a lot of things. I think uh, coaching from the film room is going to be huge. If you're in the film room, you can look down and you can see, okay, hey, you know, this is what's happening. This is what I need you to do. This is why this is doing this. Uh, that, that's going to cause, that's going to help tremendously. But it goes back to reps. You know, the old school Nebraska split back veer, the wishbone, you know, at Texas and, and the wishbone in Oklahoma, you know, those guys practiced, they practiced the dive, the keep, the pitch all day, every day. They call it running the tracks. You were on the hose, running the tracks. And it's what they did. And you lived in it. And so your reads were faster. They were more consistent. They were efficient. You know, and I think that's probably, you know, a lot of time they spent in spring was you know, putting the ball in, pulling it out, ripping it, letting it go. Um, I'm, I'm excited to see it, especially as excited that Yersich was that his quarterback has progressed that much. Uh, this is a lot. Uh, yes, obviously very, very important. And I chuckle a little bit as you're talking about Nebraska Veer. You even went all the way back to Texas and Wishbone. I know there's some of our younger listeners who are wondering, what are you guys talking about? Maybe one of these days we'll actually do a segment on that coach and talk about that from so many years ago. By the way, those were fun offenses to watch. Getting getting back to Clifford, 
it wasn't all bad on your video. Talk a little bit about the plays that you said where Sean Clifford did perform very well. I believe you were talking about some deep plants where you could see he was very uh, decisive in his decision-making. So, you know, they call those bangs. They're bang slants, okay? Because basically he's taking five steps and he's banging to open grass. And the idea is I'm just going to put that thing in the open window and let it throw. And the reason I think that that's a neat, it's a better throw for him is because Number one, he can set his feet, he can ride the running back, and he can set his feet, and he doesn't really have to throw to a sideline. He throws at an angle with things that he throws every day. It's no different than throwing a, you know, a slant, a deep slant. That's really all it is. And he knows that he's reading one player, and he's going to actually influence that player um, with a flat presence. If you look at all those plays, there was always something in the flat <coughs> excuse me, that basically pulled that outside linebacker or that conflict defender out that allowed him to have a much simpler, more easy read instead of having to let that kid, does he, make a, does he make a step at the run? Is he stepping down? Is he stepping out? Is he feathering? Whatever terminology you want to use, it was a much cleaner decision uh, for him, and I felt like that's where his comfort level really rose, uh, and I think that's, that's tremendous for him. And so, you know, and I'll be honest with you, even when you go to the high school level, you know, the outside throws are easier because they're pre-snap most of the time, but that bang slant that he's throwing, that's actually, that's not an easy throw. It really isn't. Um, and he makes it look very efficient. You know, I, I know I, I was breaking down film uh, just last week of opponents that were playing, uh, and I'm talking about Division One FBS football players that are guys and they're struggling with that throw, and these kids are going to Texas. So I'm impressed. I think he's going to be successful. I think it's going to help a lot. And the last play, really quickly, in the last 30 seconds we have, there was one play, receiver, he read it was actually a pre-snap read because the receiver was going to run a hitch, and the defender was giving him a large pad. So that's a little bit different. You're not looking for how the player reacts. You're looking for where he's positioned before the play's even snapped, correct? Right, correct. It's pre-snap read. He knew, he knew it was man. He just drove it in. He dropped it into him. Very good. All right, Coach. Unfortunately, as always, the time goes just way too fast when we talk to you, but we always learn something. And again, the reminder, go to YouTube, the For the Bloggy channel. That's Bloggy, B-L-O-G-Y. You'll see all of Coach's videos there. And I guarantee you will learn more about Penn State football. But that's it for our show. Thanks, Coach Caduti, and thank you all for listening. Be sure you join us next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, Local information from Penn State's hometown website, statecollege.com. Trust statecollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. In his book, Why Penn State, author Greg Woodman takes readers on a trip back in time to Happy Valley in the 1980s, a unique era of gridiron success and rapid expansion that gave our university its modern identity. Whether you're traveling down memory lane or discovering old states past for the first time, this compilation of rare photos, original essays, and exclusive interviews helps you explore the why behind We Are. Start your journey today 
Order online at ypennstate.com. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. We are Tech Results, located right here in State College. We specialize in providing assistance with many third-party software suites. Our clients include doctor's offices, lawyers, construction companies, and even hairdressers. We provide help with their industry-specific software. Learn more at techresults.com. That's T-E-K results.com. Or give us a call at 814 206 